Attributive Security Podcast, where we discuss and share ideas around perennial, topical, and emerging information security issues. And in today's episode, Martin and I will be discussing ransomware, whether you should pay or not pay, and what is it you could have done before such a hack could take place, and what is it you can do afterwards. So Martin, you told me the other day that your Garmin watch wasn't working, there were no data feeds, no updates. What happened? Yes, I'm a Garmin customer. I have a Garmin watch. So I think I, I probably saw that one fairly fairly early on. Uh, you know, you go into the into the app on the phone and it just says, I don't know what's going on. And then it was, oh, we're down for maintenance. So I guess let's rewind a bit and, and think about ransomware. I mean, ransomware's obviously a very uh, prevalent threat at the moment, but it's not actually... A bogeyman invented by the vendors, I don't think. I think this is actually a real threat that's that's facing companies big and small across the world. Uh, it seems to be increasing as the world is is trying to fight this uh, coronavirus pandemic. I think the frequency of ransomware attacks is, is increasing, and also I think we're seeing a shift from you know the the attacks we were seeing where. The cyber criminals would come in and encrypt all your files and extort a ransom from you to to get access to those files into what we're seeing uh, increasingly now, I think, is that they're actually exfiltrating your data as well uh, and saying, you know, pay us pay us some money or we, we're going to release your data to, you know, whoever. We're going to auction your data potentially uh, to the highest bidder. So I think that's a, a bit of a a change that's been ongoing over the last several months. Yes, that's uh, that's certainly something that I see happening there too. Right, recently we saw on LinkedIn Robert Campbell saying that uh, those that shouldn't be paid out there. And while I was typing a response to this, I realized there's there's much more than I actually can express via LinkedIn. So. Uh, hopefully I'll get a chance later to uh, to talk to Robert but because um, it's not always I mean not paying sure right you shouldn't pay criminals because that pays criminals and they'll keep doing whatever they, they want to do there make money yeah so just to I guess go back to what he was saying I think he was saying we shouldn't be paying these cyber criminals I won't use some of the pejorative terms we shouldn't be paying them, and that's creating a market in itself. Yes, yes, indeed. And that's a valid point. I'm not going to argue that point. I think that, that stands to reason that if you continue to pay people, that will create a market. I think also there's been some cases of you know, statistics around if you pay somebody, then that actually affects your likelihood of suffering a, f- a future attack yes you've been shown to be somebody who you'll who will pay so be it the same uh the same criminals or different criminals you've put a target on your head yes but at the same time let's say you're a hospital right and you discover that your data has been encrypted you need to have access to those records of the patients and there's there's only one option you have at that point, or two, 
that send the patients back home or pay the ransom and make sure you can you can help those patients i believe in 2017 there were 16 nhs institutes or hospitals that actually had this yeah that was i guess if you're talking about the uk ones that was uh wanna cry back in 2017 uh the, you know there were there were a lot of them but i don't think it's necessarily a case of if you pay everything's going to be all right going back to what we were talking about in our last episode i guess around trust why should we trust a cyber criminal if i pay the ransom am i going to get access to my files am i going to get access to some of my files maybe they've actually encrypted using several different keys and i'm only going to get some of my data and then they're going to say pay us again are they going to take the money and run and i'm never going to hear from them again you know i think if you've been following some of the the blackboard stuff that's been going on recently it was quite stark how they came out and said well we're confident that your data hasn't gone any further it hasn't been uh you know shared Essentially, we paid them and and they promised us that they've deleted it. So that's okay, isn't it? <sighs> Paying isn't necessarily uh, going to get you what you want either. Well, no, of course. Because um, like you're saying, uh, there's no guarantee that your system is clean, that your data is, is free again. But, I mean, if you're... Oper- if you're you're having financial impacts or, or people are dying or there's no time to really think about, thoroughly think about what you need to do there. Okay, that's a, that's a really good point you've made there, that there's no time to think. So I think, I think the first thing we should be looking at is what have you done before this attack's happened? When you're in that position, having that conversation about or should we pay, shouldn't we pay? That's a conversation to have been having before then. If we, if we suffer a ransomware attack, would we ever consider paying? And I think, you know, Norse Kydra came out and said, we're never going to pay. And, you know, that's fine for them if, that, if that's their, their position. But it's it sort of felt like, you know, either they'd made that decision very quickly or they'd actually thought about it before, you know, we talk about identifying what are the uh, are the significant threats to your business. You know, risk assessment, uh, business continuity, and simulation. You know, those are the times you need to be thinking about those things. We're not lawyers. Regulations are different around the world, but is it even legal to pay it? Are you going to get in into potential uh, issues around? You know, paying to paying money to sanctioned nations or s- sanctioned individuals. I think Simon brought that up on the on the LinkedIn thread. Simon Devlin. Well, if you if you make the comparison to somebody being kidnapped and they ask for some ransom, is paying that ransom then making you a criminal too because you're paying a criminal? Is that a a legal question or a moral question? <laughs> I guess both. You yeah. know, I, I I don't want to get into the, the the legalities of what it's like here versus what the law is in the UK versus the law in the Netherlands versus the law in in the US. Let's say there's different legal uh, frameworks and regimes in place that 
I can well, affect if, that. If, but it's it's certainly something that, as a business, you need to be aware of. Yeah, and if you look at the Dutch statements on the police website, um, they they don't say pay, but they do have a sort of conclusion. Well, and if you have to pay, be aware that your data may not be free completely. You may still be vulnerable, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So they don't make it, or they don't they don't make it sound like it is indeed illegal to pay the ransom there. And, and, and like you were saying, if I if I make, I'm just cautioning in in, in some uh, you know in some jurisdictions where our listeners may well be that you know they may have a different different I'd framework love to hear there, about and that. they may have a different position. Yeah, um, absolutely. But, but going back, Martin, you know, certainly in in a, in a lot of places, insurance will actually cover your you paying a ransom. Well, that depends, of course. But going back to what you said uh, before the question, do I pay or do I not pay? Uh, there's this, what have you done before, right? In your risk assessments, etc. It might just be a very conscious decision to say, how much will it cost to pay the ransom against how much does it cost to actually put all the preventative measures in place? I've seen, I've seen uh, numbers of $70,000 to be paid for ransom to a hundred thousand but we're also we're also seeing reports of three hundred thousand yeah. dollars four million is, is six to, million to clean it up but if the criminals stay below a certain level it pays out i mean it's cheaper to 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 pay than to actually put in measures that'll cost you like a much per year so what what you're saying is the the criminals need to just not be too greedy and then they yeah. get the <laughs> I'm not trying to <laughs> I mean I think I think there is a point you know if they if they do get too greedy then you know they're more likely to to find somebody not paying. So they are pitching that at a level where they think that they could yes, they can get that right. money. It's it has to do with a threshold. Now, I agree, of course, it's not so much that you, are in a risk assessment, say, to prevent having to pay ransomware or to pay ransom, we have to implement all kinds of measures, all kinds of controls that is too costly. Let's not do it. Let's just pay the ransom. Of course, those measures that you're thinking of are measures that also support other threats and other weaknesses. Yes, and that that's often a... A complexity that that's that's hard to deal with. That you can't attribute the, the the cost of a control to one threat because it it will protect you against multiple threats. So that's that's quite a bit of complexity. I, I think one of the things that strikes me about ransomware is, from what I see in the industry, there's a lot of a lot of focus on response at the moment. There's a lot of focus around building up socks and and getting more response capability, and that's that has its place and that is very effective against certain threats. But what you see with ransomware is it's very quick. I was reading a report about oh this was a while back. Uh, I think it was the Maersk uh, ransomware mm-hmm. attack, and you know one of the guys they were interviewing was literally saying you know, stood up from his desk and he could see it moving through the open plan office. You know, it was that quick. I think the, I think it was the same one. I think it was probably not Petcher that um, Wreck-It were hit by. 
and they were talking about it going through their entire network in in a matter of minutes. So responses, at least from a technical perspective, maybe not that effective. Prevention certainly. You're talking about putting controls in place. I, th- I think that there's some focus to be there, um, and recovery. Recovery often gets forgotten. In some cases, I, I I've seen recoveries actually under a completely different C-suite ownership to a, a lot of the rest of the response. You know, the the prevention and containment and response is is maybe under the CISO, and all of a sudden you get into recovery, and that's a CIO function. There's quite often some. Uh, I wouldn't say gaps, but you know, just having those boundaries doesn't really help. So that there's there's things to look at there. Well, I agree that those those boundaries don't help. Maybe maybe the boundaries shouldn't exist there, and and all of that should be within the hands of the CIO. Maybe I think we can talk a, another time around. You know, what is what are the roles around cybersecurity, and is it a providing a service, or is it is it something bigger than that? Is it providing service? <clears throat> I'm sorry, or does it, or does it have ownership? And of yes, what exactly? Yeah. So I mentioned, I guess, response not being maybe as as much of a focus for ransomware as maybe certain other threats. But I think one place where response is critical with ransomware is communications, communicating with customers. We've seen the blackboards of the world and the Garmin's. They didn't seem to have learnt much from from Travelex, um, you know, the Travelex issue back in January. Yeah. You know, getting those communication plans in place ahead of time, just bare bones of how you're going to communicate with the customers, how you're going to communicate internally. I think so Garmin, you see, there's a lot of allegedly's around around the Garmin uh, incident, but their call centers were down. And their call centers were apparently down because their call centers are all VoIP and the network was down. So they couldn't actually communicate internally. They couldn't communicate with their customers effectively. So that brings us on, I guess, to to resilience. You get hit by a ransomware attack. You decide to pay the ransom. How long are you actually... How long is it going to take to decrypt those files? How long is it going to take you to get the the approvals to you know make that payment and and do all the logistics of that payment and what do you say in the meantime to your customers how do you communicate with your customers yeah if your you know customer email list is now encrypted how do you communicate with your customers well okay fair point how do you communicate to your customers in person uh, but there's other channels right there's the media you can just send something and and to what level of detail would you go in sending in communicating to with your customers? The message I understood from Garmin is that they... I think there's some uh, distancing. I th- I think some of the stuff I'm seeing is you know they they paid some cybersecurity consultants a lot of money to to do some stuff, and I I think some of that is deniability. The letter of what they did is, you know, they pay they paid a third party to to act on their behalf, and that sort of maybe gets them away from uh, communicating about what they actually did, because they didn't actually do it. A third party did it, and they provided them with uh, ransomware management services or something. 
Well, that's another model. And that's what will go in the uh, the financial reports. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so we never paid we never paid the ransom there. No. We just hired we very, very expensive, expensive consultants. consultants. Yeah, 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 yeah. About two million or something. Uh, <laughs> near ten, I think. Well, there was this municipality here in Holland that sort of had the same story there. Um, they were almost hacked. There was almost something happening, but they paid. It costed them over 150,000 euros for consultants to fix the problem. I don't think we can say you should never pay. As you say, that you've, you're, t- you're talking about healthcare examples and maybe you know, you've got life and death situations there and maybe it's actually been priced uh, appropriately to actually uh, incentivize you to pay. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah. It is because cost-benefit analysis shows you it's cheaper to pay because hiring somebody, some consultants to think about this, what might happen in the future, and then build all those those tools and, and the services. It's. I mean, if you're a small company, I, I I think it applies small or big. You know, if you're if you're a big company, and let's let's put let's put business ethics aside for a moment. That's that's a whole other area. Um, you're not in business to be compliant. No, we you know, If you've got shareholders. The shareholders have their own uh, concerns. How, how do you go to your shareholders and say, yeah, we didn't pay the 10 million ransom, but we paid 300 million to fix it? Ethics aside, you know, your shareholders aren't going to be happy with that. No. Nope. They're probably not going to be happy if it's like, oh, yeah, well, you paid the 10 million, but then you also got fined because whatever jurisdiction decided that was a you know, a bad thing or... You ha- you had some additional costs, but you know you're not in business. You're not in business to be compliant. If if you can manage your your costs and you can manage your reputation and you can manage your other impacts, that's probably what you're expected to do. Yes, and and being incompliant can also be just a matter of accepting the threshold of of being incompliant of of having. A fine to be paid there, but you you mentioned shareholders. Not every company, of course, has shareholders. Stakeholders. Stakeholders. Ah, okay. I, I may have may have said shareholders. Every, every, everybody has 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 stakeholders. Oh, definitely. Right. Uh, people working, customers, uh, people depending, suppliers, or or whoever. You maybe don't formally have shareholders, but somebody owns that business. Yes. Yes, and if your life is depending on running your business because you need an income to pay the mortgage, etc., you might decide to basically pay the ransom there. Now, I'm not saying we should pay, right? I, I do believe that every organization should have some form of, should have thought about what might happen there, and not just cybersecurity, but it's in all kinds of risks, in, in all kinds of areas. Financial risks are usually identified by a business owner. Operational risks are identified. But then it comes to cyber, not so much because they're not matter, they matter experts there. That is an area that they should have been thinking about. It, 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 the same way as they should have been thinking about backing up their information and trying to do a recovery, restore, test your restoring 
of the information, right? Does that work? There's other, I guess, related uh, threats that touch on on cyber as well. You know, if you're if one of your executives or maybe it's even uh, more removed from that a member of the, the family of one of your executives is is doing some things that maybe they don't want to be publicized even if that's strictly legal maybe they're just having having an affair or something they can still be blackmailed they can still be the basis of that of those threats can still be messages photos whatever that are you know on social media for example or on some other sites so there can still be ransom type extortion threats to your business via your executives um, that aren't aren't ransomware so you need to be considering all of the all of those threats at least having a a position on on how you would deal with those yes you can't you know write everything down uh, ahead of time and and make all those decisions but you can do crisis training. You can do simulation, those continuity events. Of the most obvious, or the most, um, what is it? Sort of the top ten that is happening at this moment. The uh, same goes for communication. You can't just think ahead of everything that might happen and have a communication plan ready in details. No. But you can have a structure in there that. If we need to communicate and the channels are down, we take a, a backup channel. We call the media. And some of that is, is the same if it's uh, another, another form of breach. When you are in that firefighting mode, that is not the time to be sorting out, finding uh, those third parties, be they legal advisors, communications advisors, incident responders. Those are not the times to be looking at contracts because, believe me, people will just sign the contract and they will probably get a you know not the deal that they could have got. Um, yes. You know, they could have got somebody on retainer or at least thrashed out some of the those, those points on you know what that engagement would look like ahead of time. Communications is critical in these in these scenarios. It's. It's not just about maintaining maintaining your uh, reputation. It's maintaining your customers. It's affecting confidence in the markets, and it, it's it's just you know being being transparent about what's happening. Ah, yeah, absolutely. Um, being transparent about what is happening. Um, I'm not sure about the UK, of course, but in in my country. Uh, there is this, you're obliged to report a data leakage. A data leak, you have to report a data leak. Now, that's another point I wanted to come to. I think I saw something around some of the um, the blackboard stuff. And it's like, so a cyber criminal has come along and they've encrypted your data and maybe they've got a copy of your data. So we're going to pay the ransom and everybody will keep quiet. And there seems to be this, well, well, that means we haven't been breached, doesn't it? Well, no, you have been breached. Uh, under some definitions, you've been breached the second that data was encrypted because you have, you know, if you look at some of the definitions, um, I think some of the ICO ones, 
it's, it's there's a lot of different ones because there's there's regulations and they have their definitions around service provider requirements for notification. There's stuff around trust providers under EIDAS. There's stuff under GDPR. Um, you know, there's a lot of different uh, regulations that kind of into play potentially. But you know, some of them are talking about maintaining control of the data. If the, if your data has been encrypted, you are not in control of that data anymore. So you've been breached, regardless of whether or not they've exfiltrated the data. Yeah. So if, if they've you... exfiltrated the data, even if we trust them and they say they've deleted it, they still had it. Just the fact that they've deleted it doesn't mean it. You know, you can't you can't sort of put the 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 breach genie back in the bottle and say, oh no, we weren't breached because look, he's he's in the bottle. Yeah. No. 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 It's, it's sort of the same here, where they say. Um... Where they say that, because I looked it up, right? Because ransomware is you're not leaking data there. It's I mean it's still there, but the thing is, you did lose it at that point. So, data leakage is when you lose your data, and since it's encrypted, you can you don't have access to it anymore. So therefore, it's considered to be a breach, and you have to report this. Absolutely. So the you know the that reporting requirement, those potential sanctions, they don't go away if if you pay. Paying the ransom maybe gets you access to that data again, but it it does it doesn't change the fact that you've had a breach. No, indeed, indeed. So that that's that's another point. So going back to to recovery, I guess um, I think one of the other things I've seen that's hit some people. So they've got they've got backups, but their backups are online and their backups have now been encrypted, so they've lost their backups. I've seen that around some of the you know some some places where they've got a lot of stuff in the cloud. Uh, you know, so they've they're using all the you know the tools that are in place to to do backups and they they're good tools but you know one of the things I, th- I think you know I was recommending this to clients several years back was you know th- those backups and those uh logs you know if you've got cloud trail logs um in in AWS ideally you want actually want those in an entirely separate account you know so you've got that you've got that segregation um we don't hear much around containment for ransomware. I think containment in that regard is well. Do the do the criminals who are encrypting your files? Do they have access to your backups? Can they encrypt your backups so that you can't recover? And that that can be in a in an on premise setting or a or a cloud setting. And I'm I'm thinking of this if. If you would have a different account on a different machine, different yeah. area, right? And you are backing up to that different account. Then from your point of view, when the hacker is in your system, he can still access that and he can just completely encrypt all of your backups, even on that other account, because you need those credentials to access it. Another solution to this could be that your separate account pools the information from your system yeah that's got some advantages in terms of you don't have the 
right access right um, to that Indeed. to that other account. I mean, I guess in the in the in the log case, you know, you may have append only access, but I, I think I don't think it's that black and white. I think you know certain levels of you know network segregation to to go back to the sort of on prem model can uh, can be effective. I'm not saying they will be effective. You know, it's very easy once you get a a compromise, let's say that that gets uh, an access to domain administration credentials. You've you've got that whole domain. You can uh, you know you can do anything in that domain, but that doesn't automatically give you access to a domain forest if you've got multiple domains. Um, it doesn't automatically mean you can you know whichever um, you know protocols you're using. If they're actually blocked between two network segments, that may that may prevent you do you know spreading across that that boundary. It may slow you down. I mean, you've got to go go you know round that uh, that control rather than through it. Yeah, but like like you were saying. So I, I think there I think there are some benefits. Yes, but sometimes 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 you're hacked and and they penetrate your networks and it they take weeks to just slowly discover your whole network there okay that that brings me to another point on i guess not paying so you're going to recover okay so you've got your backups how do you know your backups are good how do you know how long they were in your system they could have been sitting there idle, you know, waiting for the right R in the month and, you know, then they've triggered it. So if you restore your systems, maybe that's, uh, you know, maybe that's just setting yourself up for for another attack. And I guess, I guess you can, you can look at your systems and your, your executable content versus your data um, and, and maybe you know, be in a position to to restore those independently. Maybe you've got a sort of more uh, immutable infrastructure model where you 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 don't actually back up systems. You you don't restore a system. You just rebuild that system cleanly from known uh, sources. You know, known good sources of operating systems and and yeah, software, uh, and then uh, restore uh, the data. I would agree with that because. Um if if one of my systems would be breached i would never trust it again not even if i've cleaned it up yeah. without just completely restoring it i would never trust it again because I, I don't know which which other files they've they've touched what what they've done um like you were saying you remove the ransomware and what about the hidden additional ransomware feature of popping up again <laughs> yeah the second one. Give oh. me another seventy thousand quid. What? Yeah, <laughs> you just paid. Yeah. <laughs> you can do it again. Sorry, you you just paid, and we've just hit you with exactly yeah. the same thing I, I, again. Um, right? I, I, yeah. I, I, uh, I agree. We shouldn't pay, but if your lives or lives are on the line, eh, you gotta pay. You just have to pay. But in addition, you need to start thinking about how to actually avoid this from happening in the future. You do. 
And I, th- I think certainly some of the some of the ransomware strains. And, and you know what, Martin? The how I would I would like to know what l- listeners actually may may have as input there of how can you avoid ransomware from indeed hijacking all your data there. Yeah, and one one point I would add there, and I, I think some people get fixated on this sometimes is. Well, we're we're going to lock everything down, and we're going to restrict access, and it's not going to be able to replicate throughout through our network. You know, we we've got worm defenses. That's it. Right. Yes. But this this goes back to you know even the early days of malware. You don't actually need a, a privileged, and by that I mean an admin account to to do damage. I've got files. You've got files. Everybody's got files. The CFO's got files. The CEO's got files. If you compromise that account, you have access to those files. And you know some ransomware will. It's going to try and escalate privileges and replicate and uh, and access stuff that's outside of the you know the the user or service account it's it's originally running under but it's not going it's not going to go oh well I can't do that so I'm not actually going to encrypt the critical business files that I do actually have access to so there are certainly examples of ransomware that's encrypting files without without those um escalated privileges um, and and you can still do a fair amount of damage if if you're in the right accounts. Yep. So target, target correct, and you have the right files there. Yeah. Make a profile of your target, and then go. Like you said, you don't need admin. Um, there might actually be too much emphasis sometimes on the admin accounts. Well, a normal account has access to information that is just as valuable. Now, I, 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 don't get me wrong, of course, the admin account has access to all the information, so add it up together, that's like all the value of the whole company. But but if you've got, if you've got a, a senior executive who's, by virtue of being a senior executive, is, you know, has a fair amount of, um, you know, say within the organization, and they decide that, well, actually, it's too much hassle for them to have 2FA. And, well, yes, you can have that policy, but I'm getting an exemption. Yeah, yeah, because I'm not carrying my mobile phone with me all the time, so don't bother me. Maybe this provides access to a lower amount of money, less damage. But for a criminal, $70,000 could still be enough to actually just do what he wants to do. Absolutely. Absolutely. And they're not all going for the five, six million dollars or sixty bitcoins. Some are just happy with half a bitcoin. Some are, and uh you know, I think one one thing that is is evident from, from a lot of these cases is I guess the people behind them are are maybe a little bit better at, at figuring out how to how to cash in. Well, that's their job. That's what they do the yeah, whole day. I, I, th- I think there's a looking looking back on what we were talking about in the last episode around the Twitter hack. Right, Th- those guys were caught because they 
they tried cashing out. You know, they 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 clearly didn't do as good a job as uh, some of these people who were extorting ten million and and not being traced, or or maybe in uh, jurisdictions that uh, let them uh, carry on. Bitcoin is not a hundred percent anonymous. That's a that's a topic for another day, I think. Um, but yeah, yeah, we can come back to that one. So I guess we're getting to time. How do we wrap this up? So how do you actually see a an enterprise security architecture actually starting to address the the threats relating to ransomware? Which are, what are, what are the bits of the puzzle that would be uh, within or facilitated by such a such an architecture? Well, I think here it would be key to have a proper information model. To have a clear understanding of what kind of information is being processed where, and by processed I mean created, deleted, and everything. Who owns it? Who uses it? Um, did I say where is it stored? I, I, I think you might have done, right. but yeah. Uh, I mean, <laughs> strangely, uh, I, I did have a note about it, but we haven't talked about information governance at all. You know, what data have you got? Where is that data? Why have you got it? Maybe more prevalent um, or more relevant around recovery, but I think also around maybe some of the the, the ransom amounts is why have you still got this data? What is the retention for that data and what, what are you actually doing to, to enforce that retention? You know, so the whole the whole information life cycle, you know, creation through to destruction. And and where is that data? If you if you get a, a ransomware attack and you know, maybe you've been fortunate that you have restricted that. Maybe it's only hit your on premise data and you've got you've got some data in the cloud. How do you know what data you've got? Where, you know, how do you know what data has been compromised? So, so yeah, what what have you got? Where is it? Why have you got it? Who's got access to it? All the, all those good bits. And you know what, Martin? Why don't organisations have this information? A very long time ago, uh, together with Arjen Fund, he was from the business side. We needed for the project to understand what kind of information was being processed and how long was it needed. What's the retention? We sat down and he started defining how long that information was needed. So we were basically creating a retention overview of the type of information being processed in the website, which helped him to basically better understand what information goes where and what the backup requirements would be there. So in order also to be able to justify the spending of keeping that information or just deleting it, normal operations actually, there was a, a bit of a focus in the run-up to GDPR on, on data minimization. I know. This was in 2007 when I sat with him. If you do have data that, you know, you don't strictly need without going into the, well, you know, you shouldn't have that and, you know, what is your legal basis for having that? How do you actually go from, okay, we've been we've been compromised, we need to we need to kick off our recovery process when it's just like, well, what do I need to recover? And can I actually do a piecemeal recovery of the most important bits and not everything? And 
is it actually going to take me a month to recover when actually if I'd done a better job of information governance, I could get that down to three days? Yes. So like I said, from the enterprise architecture's view, I think it's important to uh, to do some proper information modeling, information governance there to uh, either prevent, not sure if information governance prevents the actual encryption of uh, those other measures, but if it happens, it could be very helpful there. Yeah. Well, of course, if somebody else has another ID there, um, shout and uh, let us know, I would say. You know, we've talked about identifying the threats. It's It's got to be on everybody's register, right, of, of, of big threats is, you know, ransomware now. It's affecting, affecting everybody large and small. Um, you've just got to look at WannaCry. We talked about, about it earlier on the NHS. Allegedly, that's that thing sort of, in some ways, was too successful. It, it got a it got out of control, and they weren't actually a target at all. They just got hit in the crossfire, and it sort of yeah. got into into there via some somewhere else. And you know, you may you may be sitting there, you know, in your boardroom thinking, well, why is anybody going to want to come to us? One, you may you may actually not be a target. You may just uh, be caught in some uh, crossfire, as it were. Two, actually, how how much does it cost to to attack? You know, ten people versus one person. What's what's the overhead of actually doing ransomware? So that that that's another argument against the well, it's not going to happen to me. Being prepared for it. Uh, uh, Amongst a whole bunch of other um, cyber and you know general business continuity threats uh, is important, and you know I would always suggest that that that's some uh, there's some training involved in, in in sort of crisis management as well. Being in a being in a crisis is not the the first time you want to have uh, considered the you know the steps and. And and even actually, uh, you know, being under those sorts of stresses, how can you get a trusted, um, uh, you know, back to a trusted point, or feeling that you, you know, you you're in control? I guess it's control rather than trust. Actually, having those those conversations about, would you ever pay? Under what what conditions would you pay? How do you actually move forward and and start, you know, building trust in those those systems? If somebody's come into your system, encrypted your data, and then you've paid them to to decrypt that data, you know, do you trust those systems? Probably not as much as you thought you did before the attack. No, like I said, I'd never, I'd never trust them again. Yeah. No, exactly. Um, so, yes, you can get access to that data, and that may speed up your access to that data, but you've still got a lot of work to do to rebuild the 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 trustworthiness of those um those services absolutely yeah and i th- i think you know we have we've talked about it a bit but but resilience as well and i think that that's got to f- increasingly come into you know security architectures is what are what are our key um our key services our key data you know, you may think, you know, as a consultancy, client data, that's, that's that's really critical. But if you can't actually get your workforce to the right places at the right time as a consultancy, then 
you know, what's the impact of that on your business? Well, it's consultancy. It's any any business, right? Any, so to say, production line. Whether your production line is delivering a service, a surgery, um, selling bread to a customer to consumer. It all needs to be lined up there, and and it needs it needs some thinking about the, the steps in the processes. It does, and and I think the point there was was really that you know sometimes the you know the critical links in some of those processes or the critical piece systems or the critical piece of data is is something that as a business you you're not um, you're not fully appreciating as being that that critical. Because it's just you know it's just a small cog, but it's a small cog that's right in the middle. That actually, if that thing fails, it's got far more significant uh, impacts than you would consider. So we talked about the ransomware and uh, paying out or uh, not to pay. Um, might it might actually depend on whether your life is on the line there, and how quick do you need access to this information? But but maybe there's other ways around this. Um, and I would certainly like to hear from people their thoughts on this. We also talked a bit about the enterprise security architecture, what the role of the architect could be in here. Uh, we are thinking about information governance, information modeling. Um, we talked a bit about resilience, but I guess we both are very interested and curious to know what our listeners thinking of thanks for summarizing that maurice i think we need to draw to a close now uh if any of our listeners have got any opinions to share with us we'd, we'd dearly love to hear those uh we want to learn from your experiences your knowledge as well uh, and carry on this conversation about how we best place our, our organisations to uh, weather these the storms of uh, ransomware to protect ourselves, to, to try and uh, prevent ourselves falling victim to these. But if we do, to be in, a, in the best position we can be in to respond and, and recover as, as quickly and effectively as we can. Thank you for listening. We hope you found it interesting and useful. Please leave a comment and consider subscribing so that you don't miss any future episodes we'll be back soon until then stay safe out there